Romans chapter 6, and uh, before uh, we'll pray here in just a moment, there's a myriad of people who are sick in our church, as I mentioned earlier, and, uh, and I want to make sure that we're praying for them. I want to make sure that we are uh, just lifting them up to the Lord, asking God to comfort and to heal them. And uh, again, I, I just want to say thank you for praying for my family and I, and uh, we finally have turned the, the corner. I finally lost a, a little bit of the last sinus pressure that I had. Uh, I got half of my taste back and none of my smell. And uh, and if I had to have one or the other, I'll take taste any day. I don't necessarily have to smell it, although that's always a blessing. I used to love it when you open the garage and Cammie's dinner would just greet me in the garage and say, come into the kitchen. And uh, I used to love that. And, that, and I don't smell anything. I, I don't smell dirty clothes, clean clothes. I don't smell car smell. I don't smell anything. Like my favorite smells like propane. Propane is my favorite smell. Gas is a good smell when you put gas in your car. I love it. You don't have to like it. It's okay. Um, I, I love all those smells. I don't smell any of that. Um, and I, I have half of my taste back. I, I taste a little more sweet than I do anything else. I can, I know when it's, I, I can feel when it's spicy. I just, it's just not hot. Does that make sense? It's like, I know something's burning my tongue. I don't know what it is, but, uh, I, I taste, I can sense that there's something in there that's, um, you know, spicy like pepper or something like that. But can't fully fully taste yet, so I'm hoping the donut that I have at home is going to taste something today when I after lunch, whatever lunch is. But uh, anyway, I don't know why I said that. I just trying to howdy with folks. But uh, we do have a lot of people that are sick, and I hope that you'll pray for them. And and if you're watching online, we we miss you, and we want to pray that God would lift you up and uh, comfort you and heal you and restore you. And uh, even the people that are uh, that don't have COVID that are sick are just not doing well. And so uh, this is that wave that our church has finally hit. And uh, it's a time that we just have to continue to be faithful, continue to trust the Lord and stay steadfast. And uh, it'll be over. In fact, our governor, in all of his wisdom, has said COVID is going to be over at the end of the month. And uh, we will we'll just it'll just go like everything just stops like a COVID is just <laughs> you didn't know that. Uh, but I didn't know that either. And, and so he has declared it. It's probably going to be a national holiday COVID free day. Uh, and, and we'll go, you know, freely into society again. But uh, I'm looking forward to just getting back to, you know, this is just another part of living in a fallen world. The reason people get sick, the reason people die, the reason our bodies degenerate is because of sin. And we have to deal with that. And so uh, I look forward to us uh, con- just continuing on and being faithful to the Word of God and being faithful to the cause of Christ. And I know that's the best thing we can do is just stay focused on the Lord. So we're going to talk this morning. The title of the message, if you have an outline there, is uh, Romans, uh, Romans 6, verses 1 through 7, a new year, a new life. Do you ha- does everybody have an outline? You don't have, is there outlines back there? I think they're out there on the back table. Uh, Randy, you want to grab them? Give them to Braden. He can run around for you. Go, bud. Good job. We are so organized here this morning. It's amazing. Yeah, lift up your hand if you need one. Braden will come around and get you one. There you go. Good job. Uh, while he's doing that, uh, the calendars, uh, we have New, ca- New Year's calendars. Hopefully you haven't bought one. If you have, it's probably because you needed to get one, get some things down. But there are church calendars out there for you. And uh, you can pick one up on the way out. Who else needs one? Anybody else? There we go. Perfect. And then Marcus and mom. Anybody else? You can leave them back there with brother, brother Toledano after you're done. And uh, <laughs> No, no, leave them back there with Brother Toledano. That way if somebody comes in, he can. There you go. All right. A new year, a new life. Last week, 
uh, we talked about the new year a little bit. I want to continue that theme, and, um, and then we'll go forward. Let me say this also by way of announcement. Next Saturday at 1 o'clock is when we want to have the memorial service for Mrs. Lehman. So if you'd like to come, if you remember her, and, uh, and really just celebrate the fact that she's at home with the Lord and has been there now for almost a month, uh, then uh, I'd like to invite you to come. I'm going to have a lot of things out here that she had in her home. Uh, that will sh- it will basically show you her life from uh, the portraits her and her husband had years ago when they got married all the way to what she looked like to what most of us remember of her looking like when she was still vibrant here just a year or so ago. And, uh, and we'll just want to praise the Lord that day and remember where she is and, and celebrate uh, a little bit of her life. She has no family left uh, that, that, she, um, that she at least told us about. She has, I, I found out she has a lot of half-brothers and sisters that are almost all gone now, and she has some nieces and nephews by them back east. But that was a family we didn't know that she had. Her mom got remarried, and and uh, so the, she has no family out here. And uh, so her church family is just going to celebrate her homegoing. So that'll be next Saturday at one o'clock. Romans chapter chapter six verses one through seven. Uh, I want to read these verses here this morning, and then jump right into the message after we pray. The Bible says, "What shall we say then?" Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, I want to I make sure that we understand the context of that first verse. He's saying that because the previous chapter says, look, we're not saved because of what we do. We're saved because God loved us enough to send his own son, Jesus. And he died for us. That gift is free. I can't earn it. If I try to earn it, it's not by grace. Okay. Romans chapter 9 tells us, or chapter 11 says, look, it's either of grace or it's of works. It can't be both. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. And so he says here, look, if we're saved truly by grace, if God saves us, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And the Bible says the next two words. Notice what it says. God forbid. It says it doesn't work that way. See, sin abounded and so grace much more abounded. Grace, by the grace of God, God conquered sin for us. And the thinking in the Christian mind at that time was, well, if that's the case, why don't we just continue to live in sin? Because God's going to give us more grace. Let's just do that. Well, it says in verse 2, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And then I want you to notice the several, the next verses. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ... We're baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we also, now notice this phrase, should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. That the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth, notice this phrase again, we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, and I thank you, God, for the health and the strength to be here today. And Lord, there are many people who are not able to be with us, and uh, God, some of them are probably watching online, and I want to First of all, just thank you that we can come to you wherever we are. And on behalf of those people in our church, so many of them, Lord, who are sick and some are physically hurting because of it. I just ask that you comfort them today. I pray that you give them that great grace 
uh, that they need and that you would heal them. I pray, God, in the name of your son, Jesus, that you would lift them up and raise them up again. And uh, Lord, that we could be back together again, that we would stand together in the hope that has been uh, given to us through your son, Jesus Christ. And we want to thank you for that hope. We want to thank you for the gift that you've given to us. Thank you for loving us so much. God, thank you for the unconditional love that you've shared with us. And, and Lord, because of that, we ought be able to sing, oh, 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 how we love Jesus, how I love Jesus. Uh, Lord, we are reminded of your love when we look at the cross and thank you for the sacrifice. And God, today we want to honor you as the most important person here. And it would be really a waste of our time if we didn't recognize that and allow you to work in our life. We pray for that. We ask that you give us understanding of your word. We ask that you give us wisdom to apply it and then faith and courage to practically live it when we leave here. I thank you for these that have come today. I pray that you'll bless them for their effort. Bless them, God, I pray, for their endeavor to be in the house of God. And I pray that the word of God would have free course, that your spirit would have liberty amongst us. And I yield myself to you right now. And I ask that you'd help me to get out of your way so that you could fill me and use me as your vessel. Help me to be your mouthpiece, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At the beginning of the year, we're all trying to change some aspect of our life. And if we're honest, most of what we want to see change, we would say is physical. Um, for instance, sadly, we want to change. We, we want the change to take place without changing any of our habits, any of our decisions and any of our pursuits. Would that be cool? Uh, I, I would love to change my physique without changing how many bowls of ice cream I eat. I would love that. I would love that. Um, I, I would love to change my physique without changing how many cookies I eat. Or um, I'd, like to, I'd like it to happen without having to walk, run, without having to push or pull any kind of weights. I would just love to have the result without making the effort. Um, I suppose that's why many people are thinking about or at least uh, have contemplated trying the diet pill trick. Um, I'd rather take a pill and chemically lose this weight and it's guaranteed money back. Take it for 30 days, 30 days or whatever. I'll take this and I don't have to go to the gym. I'll take this and I don't have to change my eating habits. I'll take this and, and whatever. It's a trick. It's funny. We want a trick instead of the truth. We, we want some kind of shortcut to uh, being better physically than having to put the work in. Now, unfortunately, that's true also spiritually. Unfortunately, we want we want to have some kind of better Christian experience without the truth of the Christian experience. Now, just like many of us desire a change, um, and there's nothing wrong with that, you need to understand that God also wants that for us. He wants us to change. He desires to change in us. Um, and, and, and it's not a physical change as much as it is a spiritual change. And that, phys- or that, that change the Bible describes as the process of sanctification. That's a really big theological term. And it really is, the word is only used four different times in the New Testament. But the principle is throughout the New Testament, no matter whether it's from Matthew all the way to Revelation. Now, let me give you a real um, blue-collar, boots-on-the-ground, grassroots definition of sanctification. And you might want to write it down just to help you, all right? Sanctification is Christ being formed in us in order that he might live through us, okay? Christ being formed in us that he might live through us. 
that would be if you really, really boil it down and say, how can I understand this matter of sanctification? Normally, we don't wake up one morning and go, hmm, I wonder what sanctification means. But because it's a spiritual truth and in the Bible, we need to understand that that process and uh, that process not only starts when you get saved, it continues even when you don't think it's happening. Why? Because God wants us to change. And, and, and to be honest, well, look, look, I'm getting ahead of myself. The process begins at the moment of salvation. We learned last week from the word of God that we've got to come to Jesus Christ in order to be saved because there's no other way to be saved. As I mentioned earlier, the Bible says, neither is there salvation in any other for there was no other name. And you can, no matter what your religious background is, you can take every name that you ever thought would help you to be saved. And you could line it on a piece of paper. You could get it gold leaf stamped in a Bible somewhere. You could have it given to you in some kind of certificate. This is, this is a name that you have to add to in order to be saved. The Bible says there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Which means I can take all of those names, which would include my own name, and I can throw them out if that's my hope to be saved. Because Jesus said, I am the only way. I'm the only truth in life. And no man comes unto the Father but by me. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the only Son of God. Uh, Son of God. So as we said last week, there's only one way for someone to be saved. And that is to say, it's not man-made religion. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but it's according to his mercy that he saved us. We can only be saved by coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, by confessing that I actually need to be saved because I'm a sinner and I can't save myself, and that Jesus is my only hope. I said to someone yesterday, look, I'm not really concerned about the the semantics of your prayer of salvation what i'm what i'm trying to find out is are you saved have you ever come to christ confessed that you are a sinner called on the name of the lord jesus and accepted him as savior if that's the case that's wonderful by the way i'm not the judge of your salvation but god is and his word is the one that we're going to be judged for so now that's how we get saved. We've got it. That, that's where that begins. And by the way, after speaking to so many people over 20, 25 years of being saved, a lot of people don't get saved. You know why, Joel? Because they say, I like my life the way that it is. And I say, what do you mean? And I've had people say to me, I've even had neighbors say to me, I just know what you're talking about. And if I do what you say. I know that everything in my life is going to have to change. They know it innately, don't they, Tina? They know it. And that's fear. It keeps them. They No, no, no. I want to continue whatever that is. I don't want this to change in my life. And I know if I come to Jesus, I'm going to have to change. So a lot of people say it this way. Well, I want to come, but I don't want to come and not be all in. If I'm going to do it, I want to do it all the way. And so they kind of use that positive reverse psychology and say, well, so then, so then that, so I'm not going to get saved because I know that I can't do that. You see what I mean? And so they know, lost people know, if I come to the Lord and I ask him to save me and he actually does what he promises he will do, my life is going to be different. And their expectation is that it has to happen all immediately. All right. Now, 
when a person, here's the truth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about two things in the introduction. It's going to be a little longer introduction and a short outline, all right? I want to give you the truth. When a person accepts Christ as their Savior, they are baptized into Christ. It's talking about being immersed into Christ. It's not talking about, I get saved by baptism. Baptism is just a picture. But when I'm baptized into, into Christ, as it said here in our text, then we are placed into Christ. We are immersed in the truth that Jesus only saves. Okay, that's what it's talking about. We are baptized into Jesus Christ, and the process of sanctification or changing immediately begins, and a new life begins. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things what? Pass away, and all things what? Become new, all right? Now, let's just give you, I'm going to give you, this is all free. This is all introduction. It's not in your notes. Let me give you three truths about this process first of all it's god's will for us the bible says in first thessalonians 4 and verse 3 for this is the will of god even your sanctification and after that when you read the verses it starts talking about look this is how you were when you were lost now you come to christ and and because of that you're having issues with your body with controlling your lust you're having issues with this now This is the will of God, even your sanctification. You've been saved so that these things need to be removed out of your life by the grace of God. All right? Now, just just keep this in mind. Listen. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect. Say it with me will of God. You see? So it's God's will that I'm going to go through this process. The process is the will of God for us. Secondly, this process is God's work in us. All right? The Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. We talked about that. Philippians 2 verse 13 says, for it is God which worketh in you, listen to the phraseology, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So if it's God's will that I be sanctified, that means that his work in me is going to be pleasurable for him. Why? Because it's his will. He's going to work in me from the very moment that I come to Jesus Christ to be saved. So we know it's his will. We know that's his work. Thirdly, the process is God's son through us. That's the process. All right. My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. You know why Jesus Christ wants to work and his son live through us? Because Jesus isn't here anymore. When he rose again, 50 days later, 40 days later, he ascended into heaven and he sits today at the right hand of God the Father. Right? That's the executive seat of the throne of God. He is not here physically, but we are. And according to the Bible, he lives in us in the spirit of the Holy Spirit. Now, that being the case, why? Is it just to be our seal of redemption until the day, according to Ephesians 1? That's how we get into heaven. This is our ticket. Is it just so that he can console us when we're hurting? And by the way, he does. That's part of his ministry. Is it just so he can convict us of our sin when we betray the name of Christ? That's part of his ministry as well. Is it just to assure us through the promise of the word of God and truth that we are children of God? Because if any man have not the spirit of God, he's none of his. All of that is his ministry. But that's not the end. That's just a means to the end. What's the end? That others 
may see Christ in us. That process that we talked about, Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Colossians 1.27, to whom God would make known uh, what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves, know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you. That's why the Bible says, wherefore, my beloved, uh, work out your own salvation. What is he saying? If God is working in me, I'm supposed to let it work out. Now, by the way, I'm thankful that it doesn't say I need to go to the gym and work out. Okay, I'm thankful. But it does say that God's working in me, and that is what I've got to work out. That's what's got to come out. Why? Because God is working in. And if I'm going to let it come out as Jesus is, and that's God's will, what are other people going to see? Me? The way that I am, or are they going to say Jesus the way he is? That's God's will. Now, that's the truth about God's goal for any person. First of all, his goal is that all men be saved. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've been taught. I talked to somebody on Wednesday night. They've been taught wrong. And they've been exposed to wrong truth. They've not actually seen what the Bible says about salvation. That individual has to come to Christ because the Bible says it's God's will that not any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, if that's the case, then we need to settle, first of all, are we saved? And if we are saved and we know for sure if we died today, we're on our way to heaven, then we need to settle the second truth. And that is, now, God saved me certainly so I could have fellowship with him. But what does that fellowship accomplish? It accomplishes what God's goal is. And that is for me not to be me. I, 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 God didn't save me so I would remain Kyle. He saved me so that I would become Jesus Christ. So that I would become more like Jesus. My name as titled to signify me from anybody else is coded Kyle in our vernacular. But what's he trying to do through me? He's trying for others to see Jesus in me. That makes sense, doesn't it? That makes sense. Now, the fact is, that's the truth about God's goal in my life, in your life. Now, here are the tools that he uses. I want you to write this word down. Ready? It's all-encompassing. Write this word, maybe all in capital letters. Ready? Everything. The truth is, God wants me to become like Christ. What does he do? use? Everything. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Since you're in Romans 6, just turn a couple pages over. And I want you to look at Romans chapter 8. I told you it was going to be a long introduction, didn't I? One time we had a... Romans chapter 8. Are you there? Oh, that's right. It doesn't take you very long. Two pages. Okay. Romans 8. Look at verse 28. Very popular verse. Very known verse. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that... What's the next two words? Okay, look up here just for a minute. Can we just agree today that all things and everything are synonymous? Would you agree? How many would say, let's vote today, church vote. How many would agree? Everything and all things is the same. Okay, good. Some of you are undecided moderates. Okay, here we go. And we know that everything, Randy, all things, notice what it says, work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his what? Okay, now wait a minute. Look up here. What's his purpose? 
His purpose is to what? Is that not only all should be saved, that's where it starts, but that all should become like whom? You know what's interesting enough? The next verse tells us that exact same thing. Verse 29. The Bible says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed, notice the phrase, to the image of whom? His son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Whoa. See, a lot of people taking that verse and said, oh, predestination has to do with salvation. It doesn't have to do with salvation. It has everything to do with the word we learned, sanctification. The predestined plan of God is that all men be saved, right? He does not say, I have selected you to go to hell and I've selected you to go to heaven. That's not a loving God. A loving God gave his son for the whole world that all should be saved. This is a worthy expectation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Hmm. If that's the case, who's a sinner? We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. We have together become unprofitable. Now, if that's the qualification to be saved, then we're all candidates, right? Now, that being said, the predestined plan for all men is to be saved. And the predestined plan for those who will be saved is the same also. What is that plan? That every person, regardless of ethnicity or gender, should become like Christ. Predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his son. Does that make sense? Does anybody have any questions about that so far? All right, now look. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. Now, if God's plan is to reach people so that they could be saved, and the way that he's going to use, uh, the way he's going to reach people to be saved is by those who already are saved and working Jesus Christ through them so that they see something different. And that's the key. If you've ever lived a testimony for Christ and you've lived around people who are lost, more than likely, someone has come to you and say, you're different. You don't talk like somebody else talks. You don't do some things. What, there's something, they say the, uh, all kind of ways. There's something different about you and I can't put my finger on it. I just noticed you, I've watched you, and I've noticed that you're different. Well, praise the Lord for that, because what they're seeing doesn't make sense. What they're seeing is someone who's not like the rest of the world. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that Jesus Christ is coming out, regardless if it's a little or a lot, they see it. And that's the goal. He wants to use me, not only to reach others for Christ, but he gets the glory for it all. Now, if that's God's goal, do you suppose that there's someone who's the enemy to that goal? Oh, yeah. Now, look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, since you brought it up. He's speaking to Christians. Remember, to whom God is working in and through the goal. And he says to believers, people who've been born again, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil... As a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now, why? Because as God's will is that all men be saved, Satan's will is that all men go to hell where he is going. Okay? That's the battle of good and evil that has been since the dawn of time. As God is for us, 
Satan is against us. As God is working in us, the devil is trying to also work in us and around us and to get us confused with his lies and put smoke and mirrors and haze and gray areas. We don't want to actually see what the black and white is. We just want to, we want to hover around what we think may and we've heard about and what someone said. That's where he wants us to live. Okay. So he says, be sober and be vigilant because you have an adversary and he names him the devil. Like a patient lion that stalks his prey. You ever seen that? Uh, Mutual of Omaha used to be the, back in the day, you know, um, that old fellow used to come on there and I'd listen to his little whiny voice and then he'd go to the lions and those lions will sit and they'll just wait, won't they? Because they don't want anything to see him. And they are patient. And what's their goal? Well, the same goal as Satan is that's to devour. That word means to completely destroy. Now, if that's the case, notice what it says in verse 9. Whom, speaking of the devil, resist steadfast in the faith. And he says, look, this is not just for you. Knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in everyone, in your brethren that are in the world. Verse 10. But the God of all grace, whom hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, may make you perfect, established, strengthen, and settle you. Now, that means... That as God is going to go for me, that he is, this, here's the verse, he's using even what happens to me through the adversary to do what? To make you perfect. Now that doesn't mean sinless, that means whole. That means a progress toward maturity. It says to establish, strengthen, and settle. Okay? There is not a Christian who is ever more settled than when Christ is being formed in them. And working through them. Do you understand that? There is not a more settled Christian. Than the one to whom Jesus Christ is becoming closer. And their faith is getting stronger. And they are settled. The world can fall apart. The rocks can fall. Okay? And they're okay. Great peace have they which love thy law. And nothing shall offend them. It doesn't matter what people say. It doesn't matter what people do. And yet the Bible says... God's working all of those things to conform me toward his purpose of becoming more like Christ. Even the attacks of Satan. Now let me ask this question. How many, by the raise of hands, have ever had something bad happen to you? Okay. Yeah, everybody's hand up. Okay. Finally, David rose his hand. Okay. How many have ever had something good? If you have kids, you better raise your hand. If you're married, you better raise your hand. All right. Have you ever, how many have ever been pushed to the limit. Okay. Um, how many have ever had their very last nerve stepped on? Okay. All right. Good. I'm not the only one. How many have ever experienced some kind of anxiousness while you're waiting for some of those things to go away? Yeah. Okay. Now watch this. All of that and much more are the tools that God uses. Remember, for we know that all things work together for good. All of those good things, the smiles, all the laughter, the moment when family gets together and we haven't seen each other in a long time, the holding of the new baby, when, when your children or someone that you love gets saved, that smile that comes on your face when you get good news, any of that that's ever happened, a mom and a dad that finally break through and they say, you know what, son, I'm just so sorry. I want you to know I love you. Or the reverse 
when the child comes to mom or dad and says, Mom and dad, I'm sorry for the way I've treated you. I've sinned against God and you, and I want to ask you to please forgive me, and I love you, and I want to start again. And you embrace all of that, all of that, including all of the bad and all of the anxiety and all of the circumstances and being fired or being hired, all of it. God says, those are my tools. I want to write your story. Let me write it because the end, I'm signing one name and it's not yours. It's Jesus Christ. And I want people to see him, not you. That's my work. I'm going to use all of these tools to fashion and to form my son in you. Now, the big question, why? It goes back to what we said, because he wants people to be saved. He wants people to repent and trust Christ. He wants those that are lost and without the hope of eternity to see Jesus Christ in you so that they can have their sins forgiven. So that they can have assurance that when I die and I close my eyes like Evelyn Lehman, I will be in the presence of Jesus Christ. For to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen. The new life in Jesus Christ that is living in the process of circumstances in order to be formed in the image of God's son is three things. And I want to give them to you today. A new year, a new life. Here it is. First of all. Sanctification is a decision I make. That's your number one on your outline. It's a decision that I make. You know how I know that? Well, because the Bible says in Romans 6, 6, notice what it says in your Bibles. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth, notice what it says, we should not. It doesn't say that you will not. It says that you should not. Okay? By the way, there's a lot of things that we've learned as adults that we shouldn't have done when we were teenagers, right? My daughter said the other day, the older I get, the smarter my dad becomes. And I always go, finally, <laughs> I get my degree in being wise. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of things we know that we should not have done. And so what do we do? We try to translate that to our kids. You shouldn't do that. Why? For right now, because I said so. When you're older and you can understand, I'll teach you why you shouldn't do that. Okay? Look down at verse 12. The Bible says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Notice what it says. That ye should obey it in the lust thereof. You see, it's key that you don't start blow through verses without slowing down and going, whoa. Let me just see what these words are. Let me understand this. So it says that we shouldn't serve sin. It says that we shouldn't live that way, but that we should live another way. So what is it? It becomes a decision that I make. Notice what it says in verse 7. I'm sorry, in verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Verse 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you because you're not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we... Excuse me, shall we sin because we're not, we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Watch this verse, verse 16. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey. His servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. He lays it out. I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey and a curse if you not obey. But Joshua said it this way, choose you this day whom you will serve. He made the decision. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. 
Well, there was a time after Joshua died and those that were, were that were uh, with Joshua when they died that men decided to do what was ever right and wrong in their own eyes. They made the choice. I'm going to serve myself. Thank you very much. I'm going to make decisions that are going to please me. I'm going to make decisions that are more conducive to people seeing me. Do you see that? All through the Bible, including today, including the fact that you're here, you had a choice. And the sanctification process is a decision that I make. It's a decision twofold. First of all, it's a choice of submission. That's clear. And it's a choice of dominion. Who am I going to submit to and to whomever, according to verse 16, to whomever, whichever one it is, whether it's self and my own will or God's work in me and his will, I'm going to submit to. And when I do, that's who has dominion over me. The Bible uses the words in those verses, servants to whom you obey. You know, a stop sign is different from a yield sign. Okay, both of them are decisions, but one comes with a a penalty. If the law says stop and you don't stop, you pay a fine. You pay the circumstances. Yield means I can stop or not depending on whether I need to go or if it's safe to go or not. I get to determine that when I get there. All right? So there's a difference. Now, most of the time when we make a decision, God says stop and we go, no, I'm good. Uh, like most of us all, we all in this room know what a California stop is. Okay? Some of you don't even slow down when it comes to some of them. Some of you are like, eh, I, I live at the worst corner in America at Hale and Maine. I cannot tell you how many times a day people blow through that stop sign. And I'm talking about either they don't see it or they see it and don't care. They just, and you see them all the time. They just look whatever way they think the cop is and then boom, they blow through the, and accidents galore, okay? Now here's the crazy part. You make the wrong choice, you have to pay the price. It may always, it may not always be immediate, But if I have learned over my life, trust me, you make enough wrong choices, those choices catch up to you eventually. And there will be consequences sitting at the corner or at the scene of an accident. Why? Because I made the choice. So God says, look, here's my will. Here's my purpose. This is my goal in life. My goal in your existence is for me not only to know you, but those that know you. And in order to do that, you've got to come to me. And then you have to decide, Lord, will you If you're going to work in me, then I decide, yes, I want that work. It's a decision that I make. Matthew 6 and verse 24 says, no man can serve two masters. It's a matter of dominion. No no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. You just can't. Jesus said you can't. That's a stop. And we've been trying to prove him wrong ever since, haven't we? Well, I can dabble and I can... I think I can serve God and still serve my self-interest. Not if you want to live in the will of God. Remember, it's God's will. This is the will of God concerning you, even your sanctification. Now watch. So sanctification, this process whereby God works in me to work Christ through me, is a decision that I make. I have to make that decision. Secondly, it's a death that I die. It's a death that I die. Oswald Chambers said this, and I'll read it slowly so you can kind of absorb it. No one enters into the experience of entire sanctification without going through a white funeral. The burial of the old life. You understand? Everybody follow me so far? If there has never been this crisis of death, sanctification is nothing more than a vision. 
There must be a white funeral, a death that has only one resurrection, and that resurrection into the life that resurrection is the resurrection into the life of Jesus Christ. Let's go back and just look what the Bible says. The Bible says in verse uh, four, therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. There's the decision, okay? But in order for me to raise again to newness of life, what does that take for granted? That I have to die. You can't have a resurrection without a death. Somebody has to die. And is it going to be my will that dies or is it going to be God's will that dies? I can't live in newness of life until my old life is put to death. Now, the Bible says in Colossians 3 and verse 5, mortify therefore your members. The word mortify literally means to put to death. Mortify your members which are upon the earth. And then he lists some awful things. Fornication, sex outside of marriage, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now watch, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of what? Disobedience. In the which ye also walked in some time, listen, when ye lived in them. There's a reason that he says those things need to be mortified. Why? Because they live in us. All of those things live in every single individual. Listen, even if we've not acted on them, they live in here. My propensity is for all of those things. That's why God covers them all. Whether I've acted on them or not, they're still alive in here. And God says, in order for me to do my work in you, so that my will is done through you, something has to die. And it's that, that death in you, that sin in you, all of that. Because you don't want to live in those. You cannot live in the flesh and please the spirit. Because those two are opposed. So, have you come to your last days? Really? Many people come to their own funeral in sentiment. Look, there's no doubt in my mind that if you're saved and you've ever been in a really good Bible preaching church, that at some point in your Christian experience, God got a hold of your heart in a service. And with every fiber of your sentiment, you were serious. And you really, really, really wanted to die. You wanted to mortify those things. And in sentiment, you did. But not in reality. But we've all been there. We've all had the intent to follow through. We've all had the tent. That's the sentiment. Well, that, that's my motive. My motive is that I want Christ to be in, in me. Let, 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 let's put it in a, in, a, in a secular way. My motive is to lose weight. My heart is to be skinnier. My heart is to be more in shape. That, that's my motive. And, and what happens? My intent doesn't stop me from eating a gallon of ice cream. Right? What has to happen? Two things. I have to decide. That's the first thing. But secondly, I got to follow through. Something has to die. We'll say, well, that's your problem, Pastor. You just can't kill the ice cream. <laughs> okay? That, that's the idea. See? God says there, there has to be a funeral. In reality of life, have I come to that? If I come to the funeral in sentiment, it doesn't happen in reality because of one thing. 
So let me give you a couple things. First of all, death means that I stop being. I stop being. The part of me that is not like Christ. Most people want to be noticed. We appreciate notoriety and being noticed or praised for what we do or who we are. But God's purpose in this world through my life is that they would notice Jesus, not me. That they would hear Jesus, not me. And they can't do that in me until I stop being. Ephesians 4 says that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So this is the death side. Something has to die, but there's also a life side. Secondly, my death means that Christ begins to live through me. And I'm going to give you a Bible verse. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. For I am crucified with Christ. Never, that's the death side. Nevertheless, I live. That's the life side. Yet not I, but Christ liveth, help me, in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The Apostle Paul said that this dying, by the way, was a daily practice for him, so that by any means he might see other people saved because they would see Jesus, not him. Oswald Chambers said it this way again, am I willing then to reduce myself to simply me, determinedly to strip myself of all what my friends think of me, of all that I think even of myself, and to hand that simple naked self right over to God? Immediately I am, he will sanctify me wholly, and my life will be free from earnestness in connection with everything but God. When I pray, Lord, show me what sanctification means for me. He will show me. It means being made one with Jesus. Sanctification, he said, is not something Jesus Christ puts into me. It is himself in me. You see, this process that God wants to happen in me is a decision that I make. It's also a death that I die. And thirdly, and I'm done, it's a description I pursue. I pursue. Like Paul said that I die daily. If you asked everyone in this room to write down their definition of success, if I said today, I want you to take out your notes, and somewhere on there I want you to write a working definition in one sentence of what success is, there would be as many definitions as there are people. This, this, that many. Okay? One writer said, success can mean feeling that tingle of excitement about what you do, sticking with what matters through hard times, living a life you can feel proud of in retrospect. That was his opinion. Another writer said, success, first, of course, is the opposite of failure, is the status, is the status of having achieved and accomplished an aim or, or objective. Being successful means the achievement of desired visions and planned goals. Furthermore, success can be a certain social status that describes a prosperous person that could also have gained fame for its favorable outcome. Think about all that, that I just said. One dictionary describes success as the following, attaining wealth, prosperity, or fame. But in reality, the actual definition of the word success is simply this, obtaining a desired outcome. Think about that. That's the Webster's Dictionary, of, uh, the definition of success. Obtaining a desired outcome. All right now, if that is true, then success and obtaining it can only be determined by one thing. What's the desired outcome? If true success is obtaining that which you desire, 
then my question as a pastor and a preacher of the gospel of Christ is, what do you really want? Most of us are working toward what we really want. And God says, but that's not what I want. And I want to be a successful Christian. Not because of what I want, but because of what he wants. Lord, Paul said, the day that he got saved, what would thou have me to do? Lord, what is it that you want for my life? Because whatever it is, I'm all in. Whatever it costs me, wherever it takes me, I am yours. I just want to do what you want me to do. I want to become all things to all men that I might by all means save some, he said. I suppose even Christians would disagree largely over what should be the desired outcome of life. The process of sanctification is simply getting us to the point where we agree with God as to what the desired outcome should be. Do I agree with God that the goal of my life should become more like Christ? There was a man who once lived in the first century who was a murderer. He killed and imprisoned Christians for practicing this process. He killed him. Then one day he met Christ. And from that moment, the moment of his salvation, he decided to agree with God about what was the best desired outcome of the Christian life. In Philippians chapter 3, do you have that on your notes? Philippians chapter 3? Philippians chapter 3, notice what it says. This is Paul. Paul said, what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things, but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom, notice this, I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having noticed my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith, through the faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God by faith. Here it is that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. Notice this pursuit, but I follow after. That I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have gotten there yet. I have not finally got to the point that God has apprehended me for. What was that? That Christ would be formed through me. It's not done. He's not done with me. I've not yet apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press for what? Toward the pride, toward the mark of the prize. And what is that? The high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's God's goal. And though I have won people to Christ, and though I have started churches, and though I have been persecuted and stoned and left for dead and beaten, I'm not done. There still is a mark that I've not gotten yet. I'm not perfect. I'm not fully established. I'm not fully settled. I am not there and I'm not going to be there until the day that I die. It's a description that Paul was saying, I am going to strive. That word, that word uh, uh, press means to persecute until it happens. What is he talking about? I'm going to make sure that my body doesn't get the best of me. He said, I bring my body under subjection, lest by any means after I've preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. He's talking about fighting to make sure he gets to the point where God can use him like Christ. Till Christ be formed in you, the hope of glory. 
two things. Our pursuit is to be, first of all, the pursuit of the life of Christ. That's my pursuit. The other day, 5 o'clock in the morning, um, because I live on the most wonderful corner of all of America, 5 o'clock in the morning, I heard, and, and police were flying seven cars, 5 o'clock in the morning, flying through my intersection. One of them took the corner, and all I could, all I could hear were, was rubber, and I thought, oh, he's going to end up in that dude's living room. Please let him just make the corner. And then turn around, I was like, oh, God, thank you. It's made it 5 o'clock in the morning. I wasn't happy to be up, but I was certainly curious. Then you wait to hear crash, gunshot, them to come back. And so I text Brother Gridley, and I said, hey, what was up at 5 o'clock this morning over in my direction? He said, stolen car. I said, did you get him? He said, yeah, we got him. I was like, oh, bad boys, bad boys. I just, I, I love that. I love when the bad guy, love when the bad guy gets got. I love it. And if he gets hurt getting got, so be it. He got some street justice. That's my opinion. That's not Bible, but that's street justice. How did they get him? They pursued him until they got him. They didn't give up the pursuit. You know, you don't get anything when you stop pursuing. You don't. You don't. You have to keep trying. By the way, that presupposes failure at times. Now look, I'm a dad to five children. I'm still trying to be a better dad. I said, well, and by the way, I have four adult children now. Jenna just turned 18. She can smoke without me catching her. She can vote. She can die for her country. Okay, that means that according to the law, she's an adult. But just because, even, even when Braden becomes an adult, it doesn't mean I, don't, I stop being a parent. It means the longer I live, the better parent I should become. The longer I stay married, the better husband I should become. And all God's wives said, amen. Okay? The fact is, why? I don't become better without pursuing better. And I certainly am not going to become like Christ just because I made a statement and an invitation and said, Lord, I want to become like you and then leave here and live like the devil Monday to Saturday. It doesn't happen. The Apostle Paul said, I'm not going to stop pursuing. And there's one description. His goal was one. I want to be like Christ. Listen to David. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. Listen, I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. If that were our prayer every night, God, when I wake up tomorrow, I'll be satisfied if I look more like you than I did today. A pursuit. Even if I fail one day, if God gives me another, then I should pursue. I should press pressing violently, constraining, setting oneself against whatever in order to obtain, not settling for less. Secondly, it's not just the pursuit of life of Christ, it's pursuit of a life for Christ. See, that's the motive. For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. See the difference? See, this is a new year, and the Bible tells us that our life is supposed to be a new life, not the old one. Raised to walk, you should walk in newness of life, newness of life. 
Every day should be a newer life than the day before. Why? Because I've decided, it's a decision I make, to die today. And what was still alive yesterday, I want to make sure that that's killed. You ever try to kill roaches? And you, you, you try to go where they are, and you kill all of those, and then you realize there were some that you didn't know where they were. And then you try to kill them, and it's kind of like killing mice, right? The suckers multiply so fast. You, you kill some, and then, then you realize, holy cow, there's some over there, and then you're just like chasing mice all over the field. One year, 21 field mice. I set traps until they were all dead. 21. I counted. I was like, yep, I'm going to get another one. Whack, it'd go off. Go out, set it up again. Whack, whack, whack. Sometimes in the night, two or three would go off. In the cupboards, out in the garage, they were everywhere. 21. We were infested with mice. It was gross. You see one go across the, the carpet or you, you think, Certainly, with the size of this human being, that they would be intimidated. Oh no, sit there in the living room, go across. And what happens to the big white hunter? I become a little girl. Ah! Jump up on a thing. No, I, and, and then you, you wait to get brave when they're gone, right? I'm going to get you, put the peanut butter on there, put it out there. And then you, you hope you don't see him. You're like, put it down there, you get out, and then whack. Ha! Got you. Then all of a sudden it's all okay, right? Well, you, you, you have to treat the things that need to die in your life so that Christ could live like that. You need to be scared of it. You need to respect that it's there. By the way, sin has to live in you according to scripture, but it does not have to reign. It does not have to reign. It's in you because you were born into sin according to the Bible, not because of what you do. You're a sinner by nature. And that sin has to be chased down and destroyed. The pursuit of life of Christ in me means that it's got to die. Surrendered to God's will, Jesus Christ, who was God in the flesh, became sin and died for all of us. He became us. He was tempted in all points, just like us, but without sin. What does that mean? When he was approached by sin because he has no sin in him, you need to understand that. It was, he was incapable of sin because he was God in the flesh. You need to say amen because that's a Bible principle. But when sin approached him, he made the decision. I'm going to please God. I'm going to obey the Father. Why? Because I need to die for that. If I don't die for that, they will. The wages of sin is death. But when Jesus died on the cross and rose again the third day, the Bible says he gave the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That sealed eternity or the possibility of it for all of mankind. But we all got to choose. And the determination of whether someone else gets saved or not is based on my decision to let Christ live in me. In order for that to happen, I've got to die. In order for that to happen, I've got to pursue that description of who Christ is in me. Becoming like Jesus who died for sin that we should both now and forever live in righteousness is a decision I make, a death I die, a description that I have to pursue. We all want new lives. But most of us don't want to go through the process in order to have it. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. Father, thank you for being so gracious and for being so clear in your word. And now, Lord, I just want to ask that you please bless this time. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you were to die today, and God were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? 
is your answer a Bible answer? I've talked to a lot of people like that, and, I, and they've said to me things like, well, I'm a good person. Their follow-up comment is, I'm not as bad as some. And they've made their own line of righteousness. They've made their own life the standard. Unfortunately, my life or your life is not the standard. The standard is Jesus Christ. God, knowing that I cannot be Christ, knew that Jesus Christ had to be us and die, defeat sin, so that we could be saved from that sin. Are you trusting in your parents' religion? What does the Bible say? Well, if you don't know for sure your sins are forgiven and you want to know for sure you're on your way to heaven, then I'd like to pray for you. There's no shame in this building. If you say, Pastor, I do not know for sure, for sure, that if I died, I'd be in heaven. I don't know for sure my sins are forgiven, but I'd like to know, would you pray for me? Nobody looking around. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand this morning and say, Pastor, I don't know that for sure, but I'd like to know. I'd like to know today how to be saved. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? I won't come to you. I will not point you out. But I would just like you to indicate, would you pray for me today? I don't know for sure I'm saved. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand real quick? Anybody like that? Anybody? I just don't know that. I don't have that assurance, but I'd like to know. How many would say, Pastor, I don't know that, but I still have some questions about that. Would you please pray for me that I could have those questions answered? If that's you, would you just slip up your hand real quick? Anybody like that? All right. Christian, you're saved and you know it. Have you made the decision or would you make the decision today as a believer to attend your own funeral? So, you know, Pastor, where you were preaching, God pointed out some things in my life that need to die and they're not dead. But I know that they need to be. Your decision today is I want to become more like Christ than I have ever been in my entire life. And you and God know what needs to die in order for that to happen. I wonder if you'd make that decision today. I want to become more like Christ. I want to be more settled in my faith. I want to go down. I want to accept the tools that God has put in my life to make me more like Jesus. Pastor, would you pray for me in that realm? If that's your heart, would you just slip up your hand this morning? Anybody like that? All over the building. Praise the Lord. Would you stand together with your heads bowed and eyes closed? I'm going to have Jenna play, and then I'm going to pray for you. And I I just want you to take your time, whether it's there in the seat or here at the altar. And and somebody may need to put something to death today. That's what this altar is for. That's what this invitation is for. I want to invite you, either there in your seat or here at the altar, to find a space and say, God, I'm yours. I need to die. And by the way, nobody goes to a funeral excited. Nobody does but they come sincerely. I wonder if you'd make that decision today. Heavenly Father, I just want to give this time to you. These dear people have come today and they they understand. Lord, all the circumstances in their life have led to this moment and is leading toward a mark, the prize of becoming like Christ. And God, each and every day, each and every day, the hardest thing to do is to die to self-interest, is to die to an old way of life. And Lord, I pray today that the decisions that have been made would be kept. I pray that there would actually be a follow-through, that people would see Christ in us. I pray, God, that you would give us the faith and the courage to actually put that old man in the grave, that we would 
be like Christ, that people would see Christ in us, that others might be saved. God, there's a world that is living in fear, and they're not going to come out of that fear until they see somebody living confidently by faith. And yet I pray that would be us. I pray it would be this church in this valley, and I pray that we would not stop pursuing becoming like Christ. God, as we seek to know you, I pray that as we draw closer to you, as we behold in a glass that glory, that we would also be changed into that same image according to the Bible. I pray in our homes our children would see it. I pray in our marriages that our spouses would see it. I pray, God, at work that our employers, fellow employees would see it. That people in the grocery stores or in intersections, any place where we have contact, they would see first is Jesus. Lord, when we fail, we pray that you'd forgive us. You'd help us to start anew with those new mercies every morning so that you would be pleased, so that your work would be done. God, we surrender today. We surrender all of it. That you would take us as we are, make us as we should be. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name and for his glory. Amen.